Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. It's been a little while. How you doing, man? It has been a little while. Not our fault, though. The lockout has given us absolutely nothing to talk about. There was no Rule 5 draft. The minor league Rule 5 draft kind of came and went. The Royals lost uh, right-handed pitcher Grant Gavin, a local kid, St. Pius X graduate, UCM um, graduate, UCM baseball graduate, um, and so he was. He had worked his way up to AAA with the Royals after being drafted in 2016. Other than that, the minor minor league Rule Five draft didn't give us a ton to talk about. Um, you know, we we talked about Dayton Moore's promotion, JJ Piccolo's promotion before um, Christmas. So really, I mean, Major League Baseball has done a bang up job of giving the media stuff to talk about for baseball. It's kind of like they took a football break. They're like, you know what? We're not even going to try. We don't care. You guys go do what you want to do. We're going to take the players' faces off MLB.com. So, whatever, man. I, um, I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm really excited for 2022. Um, we're back before Major League Baseball is back. So, um, so yeah, good to see you again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I know you did the, uh, the Royals review show. Uh, it was last week or the week before. Uh, with Jeremy and you guys discussed the lockout and, and all that stuff. And I know you had thought about bringing me on. You probably, uh, probably a good thing you didn't because I would have probably hit a couple FCC violations regarding my thoughts about the uh, commissioner of the sport that we love. Rob Manfred. I don't like, I talked about it on the Royals review podcast. You can go listen to it. I just, I hate Rob Manfred so much. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you, if you want to hear, Jeremy Greco and I rant about Rob Manford for a while. Go on. It's on this podcast channel. It'll be the last podcast on the thing. It says Royals review radio. Um, Happy new year. Uh, Jeremy and I talked about Rob Manford for about 10 minutes and my goodness gracious, man, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day, uh, hopefully soon when the lockout is over and, Manfred's job is done for the commissioners or for the owners. Uh, maybe we'll get someone that actually gives a damn about the sport uh, to actually come in and try and write the ship a little bit, because it's very clear uh, that Rob Manfred doesn't care about what uh, goes on in this game. And it's just, there as a puppet for the owners. So um, I could say it and that that's about the cleanest terms I could possibly say my feelings about Rob Manfred. Yeah, really quick. I, I just wanted to, um, I want to mention before we get into the content, I wanted to announce to everybody, if you didn't see it on Twitter, um, here pretty soon in the in the in the coming weeks and months, uh, Josh Kaiser, formerly of the Clearing Waivers podcast, will be back. So if you've been subscribed to the Royals Review Radio channel, which is where you'll find us, um, you may be familiar with the Clearing Waivers podcast. It was an outstanding, very entertaining, well done baseball podcast done by Josh Kaiser and a few of his buddies. Um, Josh is going to come on to the show, uh, help provide. A little entertainment, bring his one of my favorite senses of humor, um, and also he's going to help us on the production side of things a little bit. So we got some we got some new stuff in store for you in 2022. I'm really excited. So thank you all for listening. And like Joel's getting ready to say, um, we're getting ready to get talk about our rankings, talk about some content we've been putting out. But in terms of 2022, could not be more excited. More player interviews, more coaching interviews, um, a new uh, podcast co host producer josh kaiser guy um but anyway really excited thank you for listening and um yeah anyway go ahead joel yeah i know so on this episode uh we're gonna get into the beginning of our top 50 preseason rankings uh we're gonna hit 50 through 31 in this episode 
We're not going to do deep dives into all of these play, all, you know, 30 of these, you know, 20 of these guys, but we're at least going to give you an idea of what we're at. Um, Alex has posted uh, 50 through 41 earlier this week. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, 40 through 31 will be out. So you can look at some more extensive breakdowns of all of these guys. We're going to do this, something similar on the, you know, coming episodes talking about uh, as we get closer to who we all know, obviously is number one on our list. And, surprisingly probably won't be on there for much longer. We're going to have to really adjust to mid season this year. Uh, but it's, it's kind of exciting to look through it. Uh, it's uh, Alex, me, and, you know, two or three other guys will, you know, chime in and give their two cents on, you know, their top 50, top 40, 30. And we just kind of go down the list and uh, it's kind of cool to have our own rankings. And as Alex mentions in the article, just read the first paragraph, these rankings do not matter. It's like that line from whose line is it anyway, that Drew Carey always says like where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like the rankings are, everything is made up here and the rankings do not matter. Like we are just some Royals fans that really like the minor leagues that this is our opinion. We are not professional scouts. We don't work in baseball, like major league baseball. This is just uh, the opinions of some dudes that sit behind computer screens and microphones in this case. Yeah. I, I remember the first, the first two years really. So after that 2018 draft, that offseason, heading into 2019, the first two years we were doing this, God, I, I could not believe some of the hateful comments we got um, regarding some of the rankings. And I remember there was a guy that just – he blew us up about a catcher named Chris Hudgens. Remember Chris Hudgens? No, that, that guy, might be even before I got on the side. Okay, right, point made. He blew us up about Chris Hudgens. And I was like, man, I like Chris Hudgens. Good player. Like, I just – if I'm ranking all these other players, he doesn't fit in with the rest of the list. Like, both of those things can be true. And I had – I mean, we had hateful comments from about probably four or five players. And so I just started throwing in that caveat of, like, my God, like, this, these don't matter. I promise you, J.J. Piccolo and Dayton Moore aren't reading the Royals Farm Report Top 30 and saying, oh, my gosh, they think that – player X is above player Y, well, then we should probably give player X more chances. It's like, relax. Like, we're doing our best. We will promote the hell out of all these guys throughout the yeah. season. They just won't all be on the list. They, we can't physically put them all on the list. There's five, six, seven. So there's four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the Royals minor league system, two in the Dominican, two in Arizona, and four A-ball teams. So A, high, low, double A, triple A. That is eight times. I mean, God Almighty, there'd be hundreds of players on the list. So it's top fifty. It's our opinion, and we're wrong plenty. Like we knocked Nick Prado before twenty twenty one down to like twenty three, right? And um, that was obviously an over adjustment. We, you know, had no way of knowing. We were taking account of the time of what we knew of of the history we had, and then he hit really well, and now he's back into the top five. So here we go little sneak preview where we have those guys. But, I mean, obviously, with those seasons those dudes had last year, like you can't not, right? All right, without further ado, let's get into the list. Again, if you want to follow along on royalsfarmreport.com as we're going through this, let's do it. Uh, number 50, we have uh, Luinder Avila, a right-handed pitcher, 20 years old. Uh, pitched a little bit in uh, low A this year. 49. Uh, where are we at? I forget how long you make these articles, dude. 49, Tyler Tolbert, a utility guy that uh, played in uh, Columbia last year. 
Colin Snyder. Uh, Colin Snyder. I am losing my mind. My computer is just failing me right now. This is Here you go. I got, I got the list, the full list right here. So 48 was Colin Snyder. He's the righty they added to the 40-man roster this last offseason. 47, left-handed pitcher Christian Chamberlain. 46, left-handed pitcher Caden Monk. 45, right-handed pitcher John McMillan. 44, right-handed pitcher Noah Murdoch. 43, Luca Tresh, a catcher. 42, also a catcher, Kale Emshoff. And 41, Wilman Candelario. Let's talk about those 10 real quick, Joel. Um, you mentioned Luinder Avila. And Luinder Avila is a guy that we didn't talk about hardly at all last year because he didn't get to Columbia until August or maybe even September. Um, I really like what I see. So here, here's the thing. That, and Patrick Brennan, one of our founding father wrote a, um, a really good article about the impact that player development has. And he also wrote about like quanti- quantifying player development and how we can use that in prospect rankings, right? Five years ago, there is no shot Luinder Avila is in the top 100. There's no way because he's a prep arm, doesn't throw very hard, and there'd be like a 0% chance anybody had confidence in the Royals developing him. I am infinitely more confident in the Royals player development staff now than I was then. And Luinder Avila is on a team with um, Delvin Capellan, Adrian Alcantara, and Ben Hernandez. And he doesn't have nearly the stuff those other teenage, other, I'm sorry, they're, they're not teenagers, but those younger arms have. But he has some of my favorite pitchability in the system. And he really reminds me of. Delvin Capellan and Adrian Alcantara in that way where the stuff is just a tick below where it has to be to, to keep moving forward. But the pitchability is really high. Luinder Avila just happens to be two, three years younger than Capellan and Alcantara. So I gave him the bump. Um, Capellan and Alcantara, probably like 53, 54 for us. So they're not far behind. Um, but Avila has got a really good changeup, which you don't see very much on 20 year old pitchers. He throws 91-93, which is hard enough. And, you know, he's got a long frame. And so 91-93 probably looks 92-95. And his curveball is really good. And so when I look at a guy like Avila, I I look at a guy and I think, man, I believe that in 2022 the Royals can develop that arm to give him a shot at the big leagues. I really believe that. He's young enough. He's talented enough. He's poised enough. He commands the ball well enough. I think he's got a shot. So – that may have surprised some people. He does not have great stuff, but I really believe there's a ton of projection there, a ton of things to like. And like, if you were to put him on a college staff right now, let's say he was coming out of a smaller school. Um, he's coming out of Missouri state, Stony Brook, right? Um, he's, he's a guy who's going to get scouted heavily and people are going to say, Hey, this guy's got really good stuff. He's worth a flyer in the mid rounds to bring in develop and see what he's got. So the, the guy that I want to talk about on this list is a guy that you, you mentioned it on Twitter and I agree with you. Uh, Noah Murdoch would be a lot higher if he didn't get banged up in quad cities last year for a good portion of the season. I mean, the, the stuff is ridiculous. He's six, eight. So, I mean, the, his levers are just, it's hard to pick up. The fastball mid nineties, which is always nice for a dude that that tall with the leverage he's able to create. And then today, we're recording this on Tuesday. He posted a video of him doing a pull down, hitting one hundred three. Uh, that is another Royals pitcher. Ben Caderna did it uh, recently as well. So 
there's obviously something happening with what they're doing with these guys in their offseason programs to increase some velocity. And I mean, obviously the dude, he's not going to get on the bump and start throwing 103, but if he finds a way to maintain that mid nineties velocity, maybe tick it up into the, you know, the uppers and, you know, hit a six or a seven, man, he's got the stuff, the pitch ability. He's a Virginia kid. So he's obviously got a a lot of pitch ability there, kind of similar to, to Daniel Lynch. And, you know, you hope that maybe uh, he can keep moving up the system if he can stay healthy. Uh, yeah, he's a so when I wrote up the column, I think my actual quote was he would be a hell of a lot higher on this list if he'd been healthier. The issue was when you're evaluating a guy like that, he's a college kid. Virginia has been like infamous for sending kids in a pro ball that can't stay healthy. He was late getting out to season because he was either hurt or had soreness, right? And then he gets shut down after 20-some, 30-some innings because of an injury. So it's it's hard to evaluate. And, and it is, I mean, you know, the stuff, like I like I mentioned, he's got top 30 stuff, but you've got to be healthy. The best yeah. ability is availability. That video he shared, the kid's healthy. And I have a feeling exactly what's going to happen is he's going to come out early in the year at AA. He's going to shove it for two months. We're going to get to the draft around mid-season rankings, and people are going to go, oh, Royals Farm Report had this guy 44. I'm telling you right now that if I didn't, if he'd have posted the video last week before I wrote up and put him at 44, he'd be at like 25. Yeah. Like if I'd have seen the video, that's all I needed to see. I, all I needed to see was him being healthy, and, and that's probably not true either. He'd probably be more like 35 because th- that would have let me know he is healthy. Now the next piece is can he stay healthy? He's got legitimately top 30 stuff. Like I'm looking at our top 30 right now, and I'll give you guys a hint in, in, in the sense that like Daniel Tillo and Anthony Veneciano relievers, two left-handed relievers, both in our top 30. Noah Murdoch is right there in terms of stuff and pitchability. He's every bit that good in the top 30. I need to see him on the field more. Once he gets on the bump more, once he can prove he's healthy, he will sky up these rankings for the exact reasons you gave, Joel. Great pitchability. He's 6'8". The levers are ridiculous. You, we remember we talked about Chris Young for years when he was with the Royals about how he didn't need to throw 95. If he threw 90-91, being 6'10 made it look 95. Well, now you've got 6'8 and 95. Imagine what that looks like to a hitter. So I'm really excited for Noah Murdoch. I think he makes a tremendous leap in our rankings by midseason. No, uh, Joel, I wouldn't be shocked if Noah Murdoch was in our top 20, depending oh, yeah. on how he goes out and pitches at, at uh, Northwest Arkansas. Absolutely. I mean, obviously you can only take so much from a, a, you know, one single pull down video, but I mean, that's hard. I mean, there are, I don't care how many pull downs you watch, rarely do you see dudes pop triple digits like that um, in that, you know, that fashion, especially from a guy that we weren't, you know, he wasn't super healthy last year. So I think that's a pretty good indication. He's coming into 2021 or 2022, 100%. And yeah, he goes into that double a rotation. Good luck guys. Uh, He'll, He's going to shove in the Texas League just like a lot of those guys did on that Northwest Arkansas team. Let's talk about the, the back-to-back catchers that we got here uh, with Luca Tresh and Kale Emshaw with 43 and 42. I know, like, I know when you were getting into, like, you know, in this part of the rankings, it is kind of splitting hairs in a lot of spots, and it's just kind of plugging in and seeing. But what, what do you think is the main difference between the two, or how do you kind of evaluate both of those guys and have them back-to-back? Um, quite literally – the, the only reason I have M. Schoff above Tresh on the list is for experience. I've seen M. Schoff do it at high A. Because um, you could if, – if you asked me on any given day, who would you rather have long-term? I don't know. I, 
can I have both? I'll just take either. Like, surprise me. I don't know. I, I really think they're not the same player. I don't think as players they're the same. But I think in terms of, like, prospect value, you're getting almost the same thing from either guy. Both very good catchers to have in your system. Right now, with the strikeout issues, you're looking at, like, a backup role at best. Maybe at – maybe like a third catch on a 40 man roster that swings between triple a and the big leagues. Um, both guys are completely capable of having good backup catcher careers in the big leagues. Both guys are capable of starting to some extent, only if we're talking about starters catching 80 games, because I think Royals fans sometimes because of Salvador Perez think starting catcher means 120 games. And that is not what that means in the Major League Baseball anymore. Major League Baseball, a starting catcher is 90 to 100 games, not 120, not 130. So do I think Emshoff and Tresh are capable of being good enough to catch 90 to 100 games in the big leagues? I do. It is going to be really important for them to cut down on the strikeouts, which Emshoff did a good job of uh, down the stretch. Tresh, first go in professional baseball, not worried about whatever he's doing yet. Um, but like I said, if we can cut down, cut down on the swing and miss, good receivers, cannons for arm behind the plate. Uh, M. Schoff, I was so impressed with the way he worked with a young rotation in Columbia last year. Um, he and Omar Hernandez were every bit, for me, as fun to watch defensively as like Melendez and Rivero coming up. So um, the Royals continue to just stack their system with defensive catching so good to watch. And like you said, Joel, there's, there's really no rhyme or reason for having one above the other. I went with experience and track record on any given day. I could change my mind about that. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Even just when you think about a couple of years ago, how kind of devoid of like legitimate catching talent, the system was, and now you have four or five dudes that could probably play, play in the big leagues in some capacity, you know, just that fast. So uh, that's a that's a credit to the the player a player development and scouting to find these guys get them in the system and have them handle all of these pitchers. I don't think it's any coincidence that as the Royals have really gone you know put their chips in the middle of the table with pitching development at you know prep and college to get all of these really good defensive catchers and that can handle anybody and you know play their weight at the plate as well. Um, that, that certainly it makes a difference when it comes to the success of these guys. I want to talk really quickly about the run of pitchers between 48 and 44. Uh, so you have Colin Snyder, Christian Chamberlain, Caden Monk, John McMillan, Noah Murdoch. So you have five pitchers there. And I mentioned in the article, pretty interchangeable, meaning, okay, Murdoch, if he's healthy, is a step above those guys. Um, but the rest of them, you have basically big league relievers, if – Caden Monk, big league reliever, if he cuts down on the walks. Christian Chamberlain, big league relie reliever, if he's healthy. Colin Snyder, big league reliever, if he locates his fastball better. John, McMill John McMillan, if he quits walking people so much. Noah Murdoch could be a big league starter, if he's healthy. So you have a run of guys here who are absolutely capable of pitching in the big leagues tomorrow. I think their stuff plays there tomorrow. It's pitchability, refining command and control, being healthy. Now, those are big ifs. I don't mean to belittle the ifs. There's a reason these guys are in the 40s, right? If they were small ifs, they'd be in the 20s, like Tillo and Veneciano, like we said. Um, so these guys have some big ifs, but they're all pretty interchangeable, and they're all right there together for a reason. 
No, I, I think that's a perfectly fair point. Like I, I mentioned a little bit ago, kind of the caveat of having Tresh and, and Emshoff where they are. It's kind of splitting hairs when you think about all these dudes, especially at the back half of the top 50. They're top 50 for a reason, but the difference between 48 and 44, it's not significant. It's, it's pretty marginal when you're trying to think about all these guys. We will hit 40 through 31 right after this. All right, Alex, looking at 40 through 31. Again, here is the list. It's on royalsfarmreport.com. 40, we got Josh Dye. 39, Zach Hockey. 38, Eric Sarantola, uh, one of the draftees from 2021. 37, Shane Panzini, who was the third prep pitcher that the Royals took after uh, Mazzucato and Caderna at 37. Rylan Kaufman at 36. Tucker Bradley at 35. Clay Dungan, 34. Brewer Hicklin, 33. Austin Cox, 32 and then Tyler Gentry 31. Where do you want to start here and talk about talk about some of these dudes? Let's talk about the the run of hitters. Um uh, so we have Tyler Gentry a little bit like I put Austin Cox between Tyler Gentry and Hicklin Dungan Bradley for a reason. Um because I think Gentry is just a tick above those guys. I think Hicklin, Dungan, and Bradley all do two things really well that could play in a big league lineup differently. So I think Hicklin provides you a lot of power against lefties, a ton of power against lefties, and great outfield defense in the corners with the ability to play center field in the pinch. Dungan, good bat-to-ball skills, enough pop, runs the ba- they both run the bases really well. Great defender at second base, could probably play shortstop in a pinch. Tucker Bradley has the best bat-to-ball skills of the bunch, the best plate approach of the bunch. Don't really know what his power output's going to be or where his defensive um, prowess is. So if you look at this group of guys, Bradley has the safest bat. Dungan is the safest because of the bat and defensive combo. Hicklin has the most upside, but the lowest floor as well. Um you're looking at three college hitters, and you weigh them. You decide on any given day which one you want. They all provide like fourth outfielder depth or infielder depth, right? Bench infield bat. Um, the potential to have a couple good seasons, Major League Baseball. But unless they fix something, Clay Dungan needs to add more power. Tucker Bradley needs to be a little more athletic in the outfield or add some power. And Hicklin has to cut down on the strikeouts. They do some of those things. They can provide you value in the big leagues. Again, there's a reason they're not in the top 30. Those ifs are pretty big, but they all have really, really fascinating tools that I'm a big fan of, and if they can cut down on some of those ifs, could provide you some value in the big leagues, where Tyler Gentry has infinitely more upside with the same kind of floor where it's like, I don't, I don't really know, like Tyler Gentry could be out of baseball in two years. He could be starting in left field for this team in two years. That wouldn't shock me either. He got hurt last year, was in the middle of a really good season, striking out a little bit, but playing good defense in left field, hitting for a bunch of power. So um, like like Tyler Gentry a lot, want to see him healthy, want to see him cut down on the strikeouts at double A. But those four hitters kind of not in a row, but in a row there, um, really, really intriguing bats moving forward. Yeah, I – of that bunch, I'm the biggest Tucker Bradley fan there probably is at this site. Like, the, I mean, the dude just hits. I mean, we, we saw it all last year between low A and high A. And it felt like, it, you know, he was going to put together at least two to three legit, it sounds cliche, but just pro ABs a game. 
Now, if he could tap into any sort of power, I mean, you compare that with the legitimate plus approach, plus bat-to-ball skills, then you're talking about a dude that's going to play in the big leagues in some capacity. Uh, whether that power comes into play, that's, you know, to be, you know, I think still to be determined. But, I mean, if he can tap into any of that at double-A, then we're looking at another dude that I think is, can shoot up the rankings pretty quickly too. I don't, I don't know how far, but I think he get into he can get into the top 30 for sure. Oh, yeah. And we had him in our top 30 at one point. Um he reminds me of a guy – he reminds me of Andrew Benintendi a little bit, yeah. where if he can access legitimate big league power – I'm talking 15 home runs – I think he could provide you with the same offensive output as Andrew Benintendi did last year, like a 105 weighted runs created plus, meaning he's 5% better offensively than league average. He's going to have to add that power, but I think he can give that to you. The problem is he ain't going to win a gold glove in left field. He's fine. It's not like he's bad in left field. But he's not going to win any gold gloves. And like Benintendi, he doesn't provide you a lot on the base paths, doesn't block the base paths, but not going to provide a lot of like extra value there. So he has to hit. He has to, has to hit. The bats and ball skills are there. The approach is awesome. It's there. I just don't know what his power is. I saw him flick balls the other way over the fence. I never really saw him pull a home run like 400 feet. Like, really get into one. Like, Clay Dungan doesn't hit for a lot of power. A couple times last year, he got into one. Like, hit it 400 feet to right field, and you go, okay. Like, there it is. I can I can see it. A little, I can squint and see it a little bit. 109 exit velo. Okay, I see you, Clay Dungan. Tucker Bradley never really did that. He's clearly got some juice in his wrists. But I want to see him yank one. Like, really yank one deep into right field just to know that it's in there. And right now, I don't. So, if he shows me that, he could easily get into the top 30, uh, but he's just that like that extra juice away. Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly fair. And I wonder how much, you know, maybe like an Alex Zimwalder or Drew Saylor are like, you know, you're a pretty strong dude. Let's see it get around on a ball a little bit and just a slight approach. You know, don't it doesn't take away from what he's able to do uh, at the plate. And it's not trying to get him to sell out to a certain spot and take away some of what makes him a really good hitter at this level. But at some point, the way in the modern game, you got to put the ball over the fence, especially if you're going to be a corner outfielder. So if he finds a way to do that at a, you know, a marginal level with the ability to just kind of play gap to gap and hit a bunch of doubles and, you know, put together good at bats in like the middle third, middle, you know, bottom third of a lineup, there's value there. Yeah. I want to talk about those prep arms right there in the middle of that thirties range, Shane Panzini and Ryland Kaufman, very, very similar pitching prospects in my mind, big bodies. Prep arms, 95, 97 mile an hour fastball, 3,000 plus RPMs on the curveball, breaking ball. Got to, Shane Pantene, we haven't seen any of. Kaufman's got to be more consistent. Got to put it together a little bit better. Got to cut down on the walks. I think Panzini is going to be fine. I, I don't know. I've never seen him pitch professionally. Um, so we'll see how all that shakes out. But in terms of stuff and in terms of body and athleticism, really similar. Panzini's right-handed where Kaufman's left-handed. But you talk about fastballs and curveballs, you can't teach. They've got it. I can teach you to pitch a little bit. Can't teach you to throw 97. I, well, I mean, in some capacity. I can't teach you to throw 97. And I certainly can't teach you to throw curveball 3,000 RPMs. So we'll see. Um, those two have – way more upside because I think they can be high level starters in their, you know, 1%, 2%, 3% outcomes. Um, 
but we'll see. So Panzini and Kaufman right there, very interchangeable. I went with Kaufman because we at least have some kind of a track record for him in professional baseball, whereas Panzini we've never seen. So if Panzini, he's a guy, if he goes out in Columbia this year and starts to shove, he could get into the top 20 quick, really, really quick, because he's got the fastball, he's got the curveball, we've got no track record to go off of, and as big as he is, I don't really know how much projection is left. Like, Kadern is a big kid. We knew he threw 95, but there's still projection there. Like, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if Kaderna could throw 98, 99 and starts. Like, there's just so much room for growth. Where Panzini's more filled out, he's more mature. He's already 20 years old. He's a prep draftee. So, I think there's a little less projection, which is why he's a little bit lower on that list. Um but we'll see. He could certainly find himself right back up there with Kaderna, with Mazzucato, with a good showing in Columbia. And for those that maybe are a little more casual fan when it comes to like some of the stats and stuff, we were talking about a 3,000 RPM curveball, which has the spin rate on it. If you don't know, that's stupid. Uh, that's just absurd what those guys are able to do. Like with, And that's – it's almost – it's something that you just – like you can't teach spin rate. These dudes just naturally, the way they grip and throw the ball, can just flip it up there. And, I mean – that it's so deceiving. It's so tough as a hitter. When you have that high spin rate of a curveball, um, it really plays. And especially with a, as a lefty to be able to have that as a weapon, it neutralizes left and right. It doesn't matter. Like you can throw that up there. So it makes Clayton, Clayton Kershaw so great is that high spin rate looping curveball that just gets up there and goes, and you can't, you can't do anything about it. If you've never seen Ryland Kaufman's curveball, oh, either go oh. to the website, royalsfarmreport.com, click on, 40 through 31 and scroll down to his write-up because I've included video in there. And then I, there's video that I've taken and put it on Twitter of his curveball. It is filthy. It is like somewhere between like Tim Collins and I don't want to like throw around like a Clayton Kershaw curveball comp. Cause it's not, it's got, that. That, it's got that shape though. It has yeah. that like kind of 12, six, like 11, five type shape that just falls off the table. Yeah, it is huge. And he throws it really hard. Like, He's legitimately like he does, he maybe doesn't have the best curveball in the system, but it's might be my favorite. Like mm-hmm. I, I like it better than Mazzucato's curveball. Um, I like it better than Jeffrey Del Rosario's Jeffrey Del Rosario's curveball, who's ranked higher than Kaufman on this list. So we'll see. But you can't teach that curveball, and just having it warrants a top forty ranking. Like he could not throw ninety seven, and he'd still be right here on the ranking. So. He does throw 97, so we'll see. Yeah, say nice thing about being a lefty. You can if you have a good curveball and you throw like 91, you're good to go, man. But he's he's got that upper 90s in with Panzini. So uh those are some fun, those will be some fun guys to watch. I'm obviously very partial to lefties with big curveballs. That's kind of my thing. It's that and it's righties with a good changeup. Like that's kind of the two things. Like I see that, I'm like, okay, we're good. Yeah. Right-handed changeups are they are they are so aesthetically pleasing. Yes. Like they're just beautiful to watch. That's why I mean Ben Hernandez. Oh man, yeah, God Almighty! Like I was, I was kind of going back and forth on where to, where we were going to put Ben. And for those of you who don't know the rankings, they are cumulative. They are, you know, I add them up, and the point totals where they get ranked. But pretty frequently we have ties, and so you know, I think I can't remember who Ben Hernandez tied with, but I was going back and forth of him and the guy he tied with because I was going to give it executive power and. I ended up putting Hernandez above whoever he tied with, whoever was the guy right behind him, um, because he's a teenager and that changeup is just it's ridiculous. Nurse, I mean, 
I've seen things like it, but it's been a while. Like Coar's changeup coming out of high school. Like if you go back and watch him his freshman year was good, but it didn't have the same bite because he didn't throw quite as hard. It is Ben Hernandez changeup is sick. Do you have any uh, any final thoughts here on any other guys you want to hit on here? Uh, not yet. I do want to tease really quick coming into our top as we get into the top thirty and we get to the to the top of the list. Um, a couple guys you'll see that I'm really excited about. Um, that I just wanted to. I, I we'll talk more about him in the rankings, but I just want to. I I can't wait to talk about him as Daryl Collins. Mm-hmm. Daryl Collins had an 093 ISO at low A. That is bad. It is really low. That is like a Nicky Lopez type of ISO. Daryl Collins had a 38% ground ball rate and a max exit velo of like 113. Like his max exit velo for anybody for, for context was like almost as good as like MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Bobby Witt Jr., Vinny Pasquantino for the best in the entire system. I was going through and looking at teenagers who posted a strikeout to walk ratio of one. Well, he didn't get to one. It was like 0.9. Teenagers with a walk to strikeout ratio of 0.9, which so almost even, right? And a weighted runs created plus over 100, which means they were league average offensively in every other way. It's all top 100 prospects. Xavier Edwards down in Tampa Bay, Luis Camposano, who was in San Diego last I can remember, uh, Luis Urias, who was in San Diego, got traded to Milwaukee. It's it's all names of guys who are big leaguers and top 100 prospects. I have a feeling if he goes to Quad Cities next year and adds some muscle, adds some power, he's going to find himself on top 100 lists, and I bet you the first one he gets on is Fangrass. Because they're more statistically modeled, they won't wait for the scouting reports to come in. They'll go with the numbers. They'll go with the acumen and, and just throw them in there. Daryl Collins is going to be a top 100 prospect at some point if he hits like I think he is. So excited for him. You add that to a system that's already got Prado, Melendez, right? And Daryl Collins isn't a center fielder by any stretch of the imagination. He's not very fast. Um, so he'll play in the corners. But you talk about a big-time outfield bat coming up, and, and that kid's got it. I am really, really excited for us to talk about Daryl Collins. I think there's going to be some people surprised at how high we ranked him. Yeah. I, I mean, we – I mean, with some of the stuff that we said about him at the end of last season in Columbia, it shouldn't be shocking that we have him probably higher than most, but it's the beauty of it. And it's – it's, it's kind of fun when we do some of these preseason stuff. We're higher on guys. And people are like, what the heck? And then they, and then we're right. I love, I love the vindication. Like, I love the vindication of having Vinny in the top 20 and Will Klein in the top, like, 15 and both showed out. And it's like, oh, there we go. We were right. That, that, was, a, that was a pretty good feeling last year. I hope that we have some, some similar type, uh, type situations ready for 22. Yeah, the – I went back and looked and we had Pasquantino. It was funny. So we were, we were talking about having Pasquantino higher than everybody else for a while. And then like we had him, I think 13 or something like that at mid season, we moved him up even more and we had him like lower than everybody else. Everybody yeah. else threw him in their top 10. I'm like, okay. I was like, Whoa, like, wait a minute. Like he's still a, 
great big first baseman. Like, like I know he's been good, but I was like, holy crap. Now all of a sudden we're behind. Like what the hell is this? So, I know. Um, and of course he, he had to dig at us for that one. Yeah, I know. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, wait a minute. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were the only people with Vinny Pat in the entire world with Vinny Pasquantino ranked coming into the year. And all of a sudden mid season, we're the bad guy for being the low guy on him. Like, no, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, we're no. not doing that. No. And so, you know what I, I, I thought was funny. I mentioned in the, in the write up last preseason that there's a semi decent chance Pasquantino could be ranked above Prado by the end of the year. Nick Prado hit 34 home runs. And I texted, um, I texted a scout the other day. I was like, Pasquantino or Prado? And he's like, yes. And so to have Pasquantino above Prado now wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. And Prado just hit 34 home runs between AA and AAA and appeared in the Futures game, which is insane to have two first basemen like that in your system. So really, really excited for those guys too. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, when people are talking about the Prado versus Pasquantino debate, I'm like, just put them both in the lineup and just let it go. <laughs> just let them hit. Just let them, let them go. Don't worry about trying to find – just find a place for them in the lineup and just let those dudes hit. Yeah. Joel, have you been to Whataburger? Oh, yeah, in Kansas City? I forgot you were from- – Not in Kansas City. I was saying in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. We have them in Oklahoma, so I've been very, fairly frequently. It's, it's Texas Sonic. It's, it's, it's okay. It's fine. Like, it's just okay. Like, I – now – I, I know I'm going to have, I'm specifically going to timestamp this spot and send it to my buddies that live in Texas that act like Whataburger is God's gift to man. Uh, so if they can listen to it, I can go, eh, like, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, 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 it's okay. Like it, it's good. It's not, nothing I had special. It, I had it one time at like 3 a.m. on yeah. Padre Island. And so literally tonight I was driving home from the vet, with the dog. I was like, you know what? The line's not that long because it's been bonkers down here for a while. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to give it a second chance. I got the spicy chicken sandwich and the honey barbecue sandwich. My wife got a chicken sandwich. It was, it's fine. It's okay. I could not believe the overreaction people had to Whataburger. Like, here's my thing with Whataburger versus In-N-Out. In-N-Out offers something unique. You may not like In-N-Out that much. You may think In-N-Out is a similar quality of Whataburger, and that's fine. But Whataburger is serving the same crap Sonic serves. At least In-N-Out's unique. They do their fries a little different. It's that cafe style. It's the animal style burger. Like, at least it's different. They are offering something I don't know that you can get anywhere else. Whataburger is just Sonic. That's all it is with a Dr. Pepper shake. Yeah. I will say my move at Whataburger is the patty melt and then you get fries with the spicy ketchup. Like that's, that's solid. Like you, my, like you find your meals like, yeah, that's fine. And then you also like at the thing in like, at least while I was in college where there was a Whataburger in Stillwater and you'd have your DD after you go to the bars at one in the morning, you go get a couple honey butter chicken, chicken biscuits and go back to your house and prime. I will say like that is prime. Like that, that will change your life. Having a honey butter chicken biscuit, after a few cocktails that at that time of the day, they don't have them up here yet. I noticed I was looking That's for them. They don't... Uh, well, yeah. And they only serve them from 11 PM to 11 AM. So oh, really? Them. Yes. I was going to say, I know for a fact I had one in Padre, but yeah. it wasn't on the menu. So you got to get them at the yeah. so on breakfast. It's like yeah. drunk food or breakfast. Basically. Yeah. Huh? Interesting. That was always my move when I would drive back from, uh, 
either Oklahoma City or uh, Tulsa when I was doing my scout, my thing with a 2080 after college. I, you know, I was an hour from living in Stillwater. I was an hour from Tulsa. I was an hour from Oklahoma City. And, you know, sometimes these minor league games run a little long. So I, you know, drive home and it was on my way home. Like, oh, I'm just going to go get, uh, go get water real quick and go home. Hmm. Wasn't a bad move. Did you see that Co Wetzel is going to be in Tulsa the same weekend as Turnpike? Oh, my God. Now, where are you on Co Wetzel? Like, I. He's fun. It's not yes. great music, but it's yeah, fun. Okay, that's fair. Luke Combs, okay. it's the same. Okay, like I'm not, I'm not gonna sit down to do homework or to write or sit out back by myself with a drink and listen to Co Wetzel or Luke Combs probably. But if I'm having lots of Dr. Peppers and I'm having a good time with some buddies, that's exactly what I want to listen to. Like it's it's totally mood dependent. We're like George Strait, Turnpike, Shane Smith, very. Uh, multiple. You can listen to those that music in all kinds of situations. Like I'm not listening to Co Wetzel if I'm not trying to fight somebody by the end of the night. Like I, <laughs> wrong you, wrong environment. Have you ever heard of uh, Colby Cooper? He's that's yeah. great. Va- that's great value, Co Wetzel. <laughs> yes, and what somebody said the other day um, in a class of mine. Which, by the way, I snapped my head around somebody the other day. They were talking about Zach Bryan, and I went. Huh? huh? Who's talking about Zach Bryan over here? And then one kid said to another something about Zach Bryan being Aldi brand Tyler Childers, and my jaw dropped. I was like, "Good for you!" Like that was that's a very interesting take, but I oh, like man, it. Man, that that's a take right there, man. <laughs> so anyway, funny, I was that's really that's really good though. That's awesome. I told a I told a kid today. I was like, "If I taught you nothing except for who the Turnpike Troubadours is this year, then I will be proud of you." There we go. So anyway, you were talking about maybe heading down to Easton and Maine for that concert. And I was I like, might. oh my god, oh, Co no. Wetzel is going to be there the same weekend. Yeah, I, I might, I might have to. I might, but I'm also considering my two of my best friends from college live in uh, DFW area, and so we might, I might. Oh, Billy Bob's. I might trek down to Billy Bob's and go to the the might, Worth show. I might be going to Billy Bob's too. We need to potentially need, get in and figure that out. Might need to coordinate that. Okay, I'm yes. gonna get on. I'm gonna get on the horn with my buddies, and we'll we'll figure that out. But. Either way, like I need to see a Turnpike show like very soon. By very soon, I mean as soon as possible. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, we will talk to you all next week. We have an awesome, awesome interview lined up for you guys. Um, maybe we'll have the at least a little bit more of the top 30 for you. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. figure that out as the articles come out. But uh, until then, appreciate you guys listening. As always, follow us at Royals Farm. Let's read the articles at uh, royalsfarmreport.com. And we'll talk to you all next week.